So this morning, as I was worshiping, it's sometimes hard to put into words attacks of the enemy, right? And sometimes we have these emotions that we can't explain, we don't know where they came from, you can't really put parameters around them, and and yet if you really sit and think about it and even, you know, use reason of deduction, you, you figure out where it's coming from, and it's the enemy, but then you figure out why. You know, as it's it's interesting because to be very transparent with you, um, I, I think what Brooke was sensing was perhaps many, but I know she was sensing me. Because there there are struggles that you have when you see what God wants, when you see what He's doing, and what He says He's doing, and then there's really very little evidence of it, right? And one thing I, as I was going through that in my mind and, and <laughs> basically telling the enemy he has no place and, and that, that I will not let him penetrate my mind in that way in terms of struggling and depression and everything else, what immediately began to pop in my mind is something that the Lord was speaking to me. And this is something I want to share with you right now. Remember this time. Remember this time. This is a sweet time. When we're literally a family in a living room. Because what what has been discouraging for me this morning and what, what began going on in my in my brain is what God has told us we're going to be doing, right? And we We've, we've got just tons of what he's told us we're going to be doing and what he wants for us. We know that we've been told we're going to be in a building by the end of the year. We know that we've got a plant going on in Nigeria. We've got one going on coming up at some point, we don't know when, in Germany, and then five other nations that, that we know all these things that he's told us, and yet we're still a family in a living room. So, so that's, that's for me where, where the discouragement started to set in because, okay, God, one, did I hear you right? Because I don't see signs of what you're doing. We're no bigger than we were Really, almost two years ago. And then he reminded me, look closer. Look at what I've done with the people. And I, I gaze around and I look into the lives of, of people that are here. And I see astronomical change. I think if you look in your own life, you can see the evidence of that change. The evidence of that preparation that he is going through to get us ready for what he wants. So when you start to feel that way in your own life, 
knowing what God has set before you and said, this is where I want you, this is what I have written in your book. But yet you look at your life right now and you think, boy, physically I'm nowhere near that. You know, the, the things that you, you say you want to do in my life, there's like this huge gulf between now or here and there. But just remember, God is the God who builds bridges. He's the one who, who builds the capability of going from here to there. And that's what he's doing in this church. That's what he's been doing for two years. We're coming up on two years old. January, or I, I mean, uh, December 7th, was, uh, two years ago of 2014, was our first, it was really a small group, <laughs> right? And meeting in a living room. Two years. Who would have known that he would take that time for the amount of preparation that he has done? But you know, he also wants our faith. He wants us to never lose sight of what he's called us to do. And this isn't what he's told me to preach on this morning, I don't think. But I just wanted to encourage you simply because I have felt myself the attacks of Satan. And all week, I mean, it's been this way for, for a couple of weeks. And, and recognizing what he's doing, then, then it's my joy to make him leave. It's your joy when you recognize that to make him leave. Tell him he has no place. Because he has no place in ignition. Right? That tide has been turned. And God has done what God wants to do in this preparation. And he told us the last night of the fast, you're ready to run. So we're ready to run. We've got our legs and our, our, our feet in the starting blocks. And we've raised to attention, if, you, if you're a runner at all or you, you understand uh, what, it, what it means to race, you get down in a four-point stance, you get your feet in the blocks, you raise up your rear end, and you're just ready to spread. <laughs> I know, kind of silly, isn't it? But it's from that position that you can launch. It's from that position, and, and again, if you, if you know anything about running track, that was like my least favorite thing in the world to do, but I did do it, I think, two years. Least favorite thing in the world. But when you get in those starting blocks, you're, you're down and you're on your knees, and you're, you're just sitting there. If you've ever watched the Olympics or anything, then they go, ready. Then you raise up. Your rear end goes way in the air. You get in crouch position. You get in your, your, your launching position, set, and you don't move. See, that's the position we're in. Now, if you've been a runner before, you know you can't stay in that position long. It's just like being in, in football when, you know, you're in the set position. It's like, okay, please hike it pretty soon because I don't want to sit here like this for too long. But then he says, go. And that's when you launch. And when you launch, you give it everything you've got. You take all that preparation, all that training, all that conditioning, and you put it into every ounce of energy going through your muscles, and you push, and you launch, and you go for it. That's where we're at. That's where we're at right now.
He's not going to hold us in the set position for too long. Because it's actually a really tiring position. So just trust in what he's doing. Trust in what he's telling you. Trust in what he's telling us. Trust in what he's doing in people's lives. And I want to encourage you, remember these times. Because they're going to be sweet. They're going to be sweet memories when we think back, wow, remember when we knew everybody? Remember when we could go around on a Sunday morning and we could hug every single person that was there? Cherish these times. Because they're sweet. And we're a family. And that's what he's done in us. And now, on the flip side, it doesn't mean that, okay, well, Lord, don't take us any further. We just kind of like it where we're at. Because on the flip side, there's a world that is dying and going to hell. And there's also a bride that doesn't understand what it means to be intimate with their Lord. They're saved, but they don't know what relationship is. And see, God has equipped us to get that message out. And that's, that's what we're going to do. So, so today, it was interesting. I've been, been praying about it all week. Because we've, we've been on uh, kind of the last two weeks or something like that, kind of a switch from what we were on. We, we were on uh, this spiritual warfare series. And it's interesting because this spiritual warfare series is not over. But I know we need to kind of take a dot, dot, dot. You know when you write a sentence and there's really something after that, but you don't write it out and put a dot, dot, dot? That's what we're going to do after today. And I'll tell you why. Because we, we need to get into things about spiritual warfare that, quite frankly, he's not done teaching us yet. You know, he's taught us in part about the courts. He's taught us in part, I, I haven't even shared this with you yet, because he's not fully taught me on it, but the idea of being hidden from the enemy when you're doing God's work. Okay, I call it stealth mode, if you will, for lack of a better term. You know, they're, they're, he's going to teach us all these things, but that's in the dot, dot, dot. Because what he, what he shared with me yesterday was something else that he wants me to talk about beginning next week. And I'm, I'm actually a little intimidated about it. I don't know why. Um, because it's, it's a little bit controversial. And, I mean, at the very least, everybody will be able to stay away. <laughs> but we'll see. That's next week. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. I know it's not fair at all. I am not a fair person. <laughs> but, I, but I will say, it's, it, it, by the way, it's got nothing to do with politics, anything like that. It's got to do with your walk. It's got to do with your intimacy in relationship to Jesus Christ. It's got to do with heaven got to do with what we're doing this whole thing for in the first place. We'll, we'll begin that next week. But this week I wanted to put a little parenthesis on the first part of this series, because we will be continuing this series. As he teaches us more and more about spiritual warfare, more and more about the courts of heaven, we will revisit this when, when he has us revisit this. But today, I want to put a parenthesis around kind of what we've learned 
and put it into some practical things that we can take home and we can apply every day. Because, see, this, this stuff about the, the courts of heaven, you can look at it and it can be really detailed. You know, I mean, an attorney goes to four years of college, then they have four years of, of law school, right? Or is it six years of law school? Three years of law school? But I'm thinking dumb, dumb lawyers. <laughs> they, they take four to six years. Okay. Um, so, so you're going through years and years and years of school, right, to be an attorney to learn how to operate in the courts. I, I think it's much the same with, with the courts of heaven. I think there are levels that we can learn to be proficient, not in just dealing in the courts with ourselves, but then going and being intercessors for somebody else. That's really what an attorney does. He goes to school to learn how to be an intercessor for somebody else in court. That's what learning the details of this court system are about. And, and by the way, he is teaching us that. But what I want you to be able to walk away from today is being able to operate in probably the simplest court that heaven has, and that's the court of accusation. And I want you to be able to go there for yourself and be able to move forward in your personal walk with Jesus Christ. And not look at all this about, wow, oh, okay, man, so many terms and so many this, and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. I don't want you to walk away from this part of the series being confused that that's something too complicated for you to do. Because, in part, you've been doing it for your entire saved life. Maybe just in different terms. But we're going we're to go through that today a little bit. And I want to begin by, by going over, going through what one of the most important things to understand is, in, you know, regarding the courts, regarding our own walk with Jesus Christ. And that is what comes out of here. What comes out of our mouth. What comes out of our mouth can be victorious or it can be defeating. What comes out of our mouth can be life or it can be death. Because what comes out of our mouth is the very evidence used in these courts that we're talking about. Remember, a few weeks ago, I talked about the books, right? I talked about the book out of Psalm 139 that was written for each one of our lives. There's a book written with what God wants for our lives. That's not the only book written about us, right? Okay, there are other books kept in the courts of what we do in our lives, of what we pray in our lives, of the good, the bad, everything in our lives. Why? Because heaven is a legal system. And that's what the, the enemy takes what we do wrong, goes into court, has it written into the court as an accusation of something we did. That's why if we don't show up to court, if we don't show up and ask the Lord's forgiveness for things, then we can't be close to him, Right? So words are what the enemy uses against us. As a matter of fact, we won't look it up, but, but if you look at uh, Revelation, the, the great white throne judgment, that is the judgment where those who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior will be judged, right? That's at the end of the world, if you will. That's after the thousand-year reign. That's at the very end. 
when all those who, do, who have not accepted Jesus Christ, whose name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, all come before this single judgment seat of God. And that's called the Great White Throne Judgment. Now in there, what's interesting is each person, the Bible says that each person will not be judged by God's standard. That's kind of wild to hear that, isn't it? We're not judged, it's not even we at all. My, my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I won't be before that judgment seat. But those who are, they go before that judgment seat, and the Bible says they will be judged on their own standard. Is that crazy? In other words, what they thought was right and wrong on the earth is what they will be judged by. They will be judged by their own words, by their own thoughts, according to what they thought was right and wrong. Here's the problem. One slip up their whole life. What does the Bible say? One sin makes us deserving of death. One sin is breaking the law that deserves death. So, so as they are judged by their own standards, it's not that, well, yeah, I kind of messed up that day, but, but I got it better later, you know, no matter what they thought. That brings them to a place of even disobeying the very standard that they have for their own life. And if we went around to each of us, we've all done wrong. If, if we were unsaved and, and, and we were judged by what we thought was right and wrong... Not a single one of us could say in our life that my entire life I've never done anything that I thought was wrong. Remember, we, we justify by grace. Well, that wasn't that wrong. <laughs> God doesn't look at it that way. All right? So, so anyways, so we'll be, the, the unsaved people will be judged by the very words that come out of their mouth. Now, by the way, we, we will be too in a different way. Those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, those who have accepted Jesus Christ's Savior, they go to another judgment seat. And that is the beam of, it's called the beam of seat of Christ. And what this is more, it says a judgment seat, but it's really more in terms of like rewards. And we're going to get into this a little bit later. But it, it's more of uh, like a trophy ceremony, if you will. You know, it, it's more of, this is what you did, here's what you get, here's what you earned. It was not, it's not going to be a judgment on sin. Why? Because when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, our sin was wiped away. Our life, we took on the righteousness of Christ. We will not be judged by that sin. However, what we are judged by, and again, we'll get into this more, Sorry, I think I just let out what we're going to be doing in the next series. But, but what we will be given is rewards for things that we do. Right? But that's all based on our words. That's based on what comes out of our mouth. That, that's based on our actions. So I want to talk about these words for a second and how important they are. We have purpose written in our books, but then what we do in life is also judged according to that purpose. In court, our words have weight. I want you to turn to Revelation 12. Revelation chapter 12. 
And I'm going to give you two examples of words, one in a negative sense, one in a positive sense, and let, let's start with the positive first. Revelation 12, we're going to begin with verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. By the way, this is future. Okay, This is what is going to happen after this is long after the rapture, which we've talked about. Revelation 3, verse 10. This is after the tribulation period. This is when he comes at the end of the tribulation period. Okay? Jesus Christ comes in authority. And then verse 11. And they have conquered him. Who's they? Those who believe in Jesus Christ. And they have conquered him. Who's him? Satan. Evil. They have conquered him by what? The blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they have loved not their lives even unto death. So what's happening here, they are conquering, we conquer evil by two things. One, we are clothed in righteousness. When you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, you are clothed in righteousness. That's the blood of the Lamb. He cleanses us of our sin. Okay? However, how many of you, since you've been saved, have never had a single problem with the enemy? <laughs> yeah, and if anybody were to raise their hand, I'd say, let's talk afterwards. <laughs> sure. We, when we get saved, we have trouble. In fact, the more we live for Christ, the more trouble we have. Because we become a target by the enemy. So it's not just the blood of Christ that defeats the enemy. If that were the case, then there'd be no need to keep us here after we accepted Christ. We get saved, boom, gone. How cool would that be? That'd make life easier, wouldn't it? But that's not the way it is. Why? Because he wants the love from us. He wants to pour into us. And so the very thing that conquers the enemy in our lives is what it says here in verse 11. The word of our testimony. What comes out of our mouth. Who you are is who you are when you're by yourself. What you say is what you say behind the scenes. Not what you put out for the world to see. But you have to understand, what you say even in private has an effect on your life as well as somebody else's. So how do we overcome? We overcome by the word of our testimony, by the very words that come out of our mouth. I want to encourage you. Tell Jesus you love him. Tell him throughout the day. Say it out loud. Why? Because the enemy hears it then. And it's important for the enemy to hear it because that's a declaration of who you say you give your life to. In other words, I'm not just saved. I am saved by the blood of the Lamb, but by the word of my testimony that I believe Jesus Christ, I believe what He says, I believe what He does, I believe that He loves me and I love Him, I proclaim this out loud. What does that do? That defeats the enemy in my life. 
And so when you get a group of people in a living room, a church in a living room, when you get a group of people that come together and all believe the same way and all have the same word of testimony from their mouth, what you have is an army. What you have is a group of people bonded together in Jesus Christ, all cloaked in the blood of the Lamb, cloaked in righteousness, but spewing out the very testimony that defeats the enemy. That's important. By the word of our testimony, we defeat the enemy. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 12. Let's look at the opposite side. Matthew chapter 12, we'll start at verse 36. Okay, remember when I talked to you before about the unsaved standing before the great white throne judgment, and they will be judged by their own words. Okay, this is where that comes from. Verse 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Why? Because for by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. See, we'll give an account for every word that we speak. Now the difference, because when I say we'll give an account, I mean all of us, saved, unsaved. We will give an account for every word spoken. Every word that comes out of our mouth. The difference is, which judgment hall, (laughs) right? You don't want to be in the latter one. You don't want to be in the great white throne judgment because that means you're not clothed in righteousness, right? So those who are saved, we go before the Bema Seat of Christ, but don't don't be confused. Just because you're covered in, in the blood of the Lamb, you're covered in His righteousness, does not mean you will not be held accountable for your words. Accountable for who you are, who you become as a person. The difference is, there's not condemnation for it, for the person who is saved. But what becomes lacking there is the very rewards that are offered to us. And again, I don't want to get into this too much till next week. But it's important to understand that just because you've accepted Jesus Christ is not licensed to do whatever you want. It just isn't. Not if you want His best. Not if you want what He wants for you written in your books. It's every word that comes out of our mouth has weight. So these words carry weight in our lives. What we declare carries weight. Let me give you an example of that. Turn to Zechariah chapter 1. Zechariah chapter 1 verse 7. We're going to begin with 7. Now this is Zechariah who was told to cry out what the Lord told him to say. He he said, "Don't, don't just believe this, Zechariah. He said, your words have weight, so I need you to cry it out to the nation. I need you to speak it out. Why? Because then the enemy hears it. It's declared 
before God and the enemy. Let's start at verse 7. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the Mount of Shabbat, or month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Iddo, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. Then I said, What are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the Lord, the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord, the Lord of hosts, or, o, o Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, against which you have been angry these seventy years? And the Lord answered, Gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For a while I was angry, but a little. They furthered the disaster. And he goes up, verse 16, Therefore thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts. My city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. He was told to cry out. Not just believe it. Not just believe it in his heart and have faith and hold it in. Just trust in what God's doing. He said to cry out and declare it. Why? Because there's power in that. There's power in that in the court of heaven. There's power in that in the warfare. There's power in the enemy knowing what's declared in your life. If you know that the Lord has done something in your life and you have an intimate time with Him, shout it out. Shout out that you love the Lord. As you worship, shout it out. That's one thing I love about worship here. We are not quiet. <laughs> We are not quiet worshipers. I, I just love to listen, especially when, when everything goes quiet with the instruments and we're all just singing. I love to hear that. We shout, shout it out. We let the enemy hear that. Well, we're supposed to cry out more than that. We're supposed to cry out the very things that God is calling us to do. As a church, we're crying out. The fact that he has prophesied that we would be in a building. We're crying out that he has prophesied that he's raising up an army to do his work. Why? Because we're declaring to the enemy, we've made our choice. We've made our choice. Jesus Christ is our choice. And we believe what he says. See, that puts daggers right through the heart of the enemy. 
Because he hates it when we believe what Jesus Christ says. When we trust in what Jesus Christ says. That's huge. So your words make a difference. Then your words can also become offensive. And I don't mean to offend. I mean going on offense against the enemy. Words become powerful in declaring against the enemy. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to begin. We'll start at verse 17. This is where Jesus is asking his disciples, you know, who do the people say that I am? Oh, some say you're a prophet, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're this, some say you're that. And he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter popped up and he says, you're the Christ. We know you're the Christ. And Jesus said then that the Father, well, we'll read that, starting verse 17. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona who is Peter. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, you can imagine Jesus pointing to himself, and this is kind of a play on words because Peter also means rock. Okay, But he's saying, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Meaning Jesus Christ. The gates of hell will not prevail against what Jesus Christ is about to do. Die on the cross and raise again. Verse 19. And this is the key. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is an incredible tool that God gives His children that are faithful to Him. The very power to loose and bind on earth and make it effective in heaven. What's that mean? That means that the enemy, by our words, can be bound on earth. That enemy that is in our life going after us can be bound when we declare Jesus Christ as victor. But more than that, see, we're we're learning to be an army, right? We're learning to be offensive on the offense against the enemy. But the great part of this and what he was saying to Peter here, and, and all the disciples for that matter, and anyone who grows intimate with Jesus Christ, a close relationship with Jesus Christ qualifies for this same thing. He's saying, I'm giving you a tool, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I'm giving you a tool to use to fight the very enemy who is against bringing my kingdom to the earth. And what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Now, again, I don't want to get sidetracked. There, there, are, there are caveats to that. Okay? You can't be disobedient in your walk with Christ and then expect to have these tools. 
But for those who are faithful and intimate and drawing close to him, he gives the very power of words to defeat the enemy. Just like it said in Revelation 12.10. They were defeated by the word of their testimony. Words have effect. You know, when you bind the enemy on this earth, you bind him from something he's trying to do. When you loose on earth, you loose the very armies in the heavenly realm to come and help. Okay, binding and loosing is an important tool that God gives his people. But, and that's not the point of, of what I'm preaching today. The point is to understand that it's the words that have the power. You can't just sit back and think in your mind... Okay, well, I want to bind. Satan, I bind you now, and, and, you know, he just whatever. Because it's the words that have the power. It's the words that are declared into the court system. It's the words that are written down that we give as a testimony of ourselves and what we're asking for and what we're doing. It's those words that are recorded into the court of heaven that God can then render a verdict on. Because the enemy hears it. It's laid before the court. And that, that's an important thing to, to understand. So I, I want to explain today, we've talked about this court. We've talked about, you know, in different weeks, how to go before the court, how to, to how the fact that there is an accuser that accuses us day and night. You know, he's relentless. And by, by the way, don't think that, well, you know what, there's, I don't know, what, six billion people on the earth or whatever that, seven billion? I'm just short of billion. So. Seven billion people on the earth, Satan's not going to get to me. You know, whatever, I'm way down the food chain for him. Okay, remember, he has plenty of help. Okay? And he has got everybody in his crosshairs, especially those who know Jesus Christ as Savior, because the last thing he wants you to do is be victorious for Christ. You already lost your soul. He doesn't, want to, he, he doesn't want to lose your effectiveness. So he has people on you all the time. He has demonic spirits on you all the time to gain whatever evidence he could gain. That's where our words are important. Our words when we're behind the scenes that we think nobody sees, nobody hears. First of all, God does. And we know that. Okay, well, I yeah, but I'm saved and I'll reconcile with him later. But see, the problem is someone else hears. That's the enemy. That's the very accusations that he then, that get passed up the food chain and get to Satan who goes before the throne and says, I have an accusation against this person. You know, this is what they said. You think they love you, but this is what came out of their mouth. They're angry with you. And, and when that's brought before the court, and we don't know enough to go before that court of accusation to, to combat that, what happens? What happens to a judge when only one side of the evidence is presented to him? Remember, a righteous judge 
can only render verdict on the evidence placed before him. And God is a righteous judge. So he renders verdicts that are based on the evidence put in front of him. That's what happened to Job. Okay, Job was a righteous man. The Bible says so. But good night. Look at what happened to him. He lost everything. He lost his family. He lost, you know, all his kids, all his servants. He lost his, his household, all, all his stuff. He lost it all. Why? Because there was an accuser that went before the court that accused him. There was no evidence to be presented in the other way. So God had to allow that court case to play itself out. Because Satan said, yeah, he's righteous, sure, but you know what? His motives are wrong. Now, I don't know what Satan saw or heard that allowed him to make that accusation, but that's the accusation he made. He said, of course he loves you. You give him everything. You, you make it easy for him. He's got all these great kids. He's got all this stuff. He's just blessed by you. Of course he loves you. Take it away and he won't. There had to be some evidence that he presented that had to be answered. Okay, and there was no answer. So it had to play out. See, when we learn that we can go before the courts and we can give an answer, we can fight so many things that Satan brings against us. Remember, you're covered by the blood of the Lamb. When you accepted Jesus Christ, you became righteous before God. And when we sin, we have a way around that sin. It's called forgiveness. Right? And, and by the way, I'm, I'm telling you this because this is something in one, in one way or another each one of you has done. So it's not that you have to go and get a law degree to understand how to do this. Anytime you've done something wrong and the Holy Spirit convicts you and you go before and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me for what I did. I don't want that to be held against me. I want my life with you to be pure. I want to be in fellowship again. When we do that, what are we doing? We're going before the court. That's exactly what we're doing. We may not understand it in the same terms. And what God has been teaching us over the previous weeks are, are terms that we do need to learn as we become intercessors for others. But you know what? For yourself, it's really simple. For yourself, it's about forgiveness. It's about recognizing what we do, having a heart, recognizing to hear the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin. And then saying, yes, Lord, I, I, I get on my knees. Because I don't want this for my life. Forgive me. You know, in, and we don't need to look it up, but in Matthew chapter 5, 20, verse 25, if you want to write it down, Matthew 5, 25, it says, agree with your accuser quickly. It's talking about in a court case. So you can get over it and get through it and get it done with as forgiveness. It's no different with Jesus Christ. If you want to prolong it, say, wait, wait a second, that's not fair. You know, I, I only lied. 
It only hurt one person. That's not fair that, that all this is happening to me because of one dumb little lie. Or one, one dumb little sin. I mean, come on, I'm not that bad. <laughs> I mean, we all say that, right? But the problem is, in God's court, sin is sin. You know, the Bible says there's no difference in sin. We've, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned, and sin is worthy of death. That's why salvation came. That's why Jesus Christ died for us. So what it says in Matthew 5 is agree with your accuser. So when you go before the court, when you go before the throne of God and you ask forgiveness, don't argue with him about what's, what's right and wrong. He, he knows what's right. <laughs> but agree with your accuser. And by the way, Satan will not bring an accusation. I don't believe he can bring an accusation that does not have some merit of truth to it. Because he pays a huge penalty if he does. Now, I've I got to say, I haven't flushed that out all the way yet. So take that for what it's worth. But you know, you know when the Holy Spirit convicts you of something, you know it. You know, I, I did wrong. I did that wrong. So when you go before the court, just say, say Father, I, I agree with that accusation. I did do this. But Lord, know my heart. It's not what I want. Forgive me for doing that. And what happens? The Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive us, forgive us of all our sin. So it's, it's kind of like taking a bucket of white paint. And first of all, cleaning off this, this canvas and then pouring the white paint on the canvas. It just makes it white. That's what forgiveness does. When we ask forgiveness, it takes us back to a reset. We can move forward with our relationship with Christ. We can move forward with getting to know him closer, more intimately. We can seek him. There are no blocks. And that's what sin is, by the way. When, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and, and we continue to do known sin, things that we know are wrong, and we continue to do it, that puts up a barrier between us and Jesus. If you can imagine Jesus across the street there and, and I just put up this barrier that I can't get around. See, I, I can't get around it. I can't go over it. For me to be closer in proximity to Jesus Christ, I've got to get rid of it. And see, the beautiful thing is it's nothing I can do except saying, forgive me. And when I say forgive me, he comes with this, I don't know, sledgehammer, grenade, whatever you want to call it. He gets it out. He gets it out of the way. He blows it out of the way. It doesn't matter how high that wall is. It doesn't matter how wide the wall is. He gets rid of it, period. When we ask forgiveness... He gets rid of it because he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sin. That is the court. That is the simplest court. And, and, and heaven has many courts. The one we're dealing with is the court of accusation because that's the one where Satan does his best work. And as we go further on, we'll learn about other courts. 
But this is one that you can deal in right now in your own life. And, and by the way, if, if there are things in your life that you don't know if it's sin or not, you don't know if it's wrong or right, just ask him. Just like David did in Psalm 139, he said, he said, teach me, Lord, show me, Lord, any wicked way. Anything that I am allowing to come between you and I, show me why. So I can ask forgiveness. Not so I could argue about it, but so I can ask forgiveness. So I can clean, you know, cleanse that path between you and I. So that we can have that closeness together. We can do that right now. You can do that in your lives. You can do that every day. You can do that multiple times a day. You know, I, I found in my own life, and, and I'm no different than you guys. Okay? I'm no different. I just found in my own life that if I keep a short list of my sin. If I keep a short list of that, then that allows me to draw, draw closer to Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, first of all, known sin. Known sin is easy. Well, I, I mean, I know it's not easy, but I mean it's easy to recognize. And when we deal with known sin, we, we ask forgiveness and, and it's dealt with. But there are things that we do that are unknown. Do you know when you talk about somebody behind their back? It's called gossip. Okay? Do you know when you do that? Yes, you're hurting yourself. But do you realize you're hurting them? Even if they don't hear you. Because remember, the enemy always hears you. So when you gossip about somebody and then, and then you go on later and uh, that was wrong for me to do. Lord, forgive me for gossip. I'm so sorry. And you leave it alone. And that's what we do. If we recognize that was wrong to do, we ask forgiveness, we leave it alone, we move on. Okay, but there was still collateral damage done. Because there's more than one person affected by that gossip. It's the very person that you're gossiping about. That person is such a liar. Man, I, I, I don't even see how they have friends. They just lie all the time. Every word out of their mouth is a lie. Then go, Lord, forgive me, I shouldn't have said that. You know, I mean, it may be true, but I, I really I shouldn't have said that. I apologize. I certainly should have told, told the other person and talked bad about them behind their back. But what just happened? Satan takes what you just said about that other person, and he uses it as evidence in the court against that person. Why? Why? Because, where, where is it in, um, I think I wrote it down. Deuteronomy 19.15, 2 Corinthians 13.1, and Matthew 8.16 all talk about the fact that where there are two or three witnesses, truth is established. Okay, don't think it's any different for the court of heaven. If Satan can get two or three witnesses to, that he could bring evidence before the court to say that person's a liar, even if that person isn't a liar, he could bring that evidence forward and he can say, I demand a trial on this. I demand to try this. Why? Because there's evidence here that they are a liar. So what you say about somebody else 
is critically important to be careful of. Because it doesn't just hurt you. It hurts the, it, it hurts the person that you're talking about. And understand the real enemy is not that person. You know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, even, even with, with all the junk going on about the, the election. Do you know, as much as I, I, I can't think of really anything that I was in agreement with Hillary Clinton on, okay, just to be real honest with you, any policy or anything else, but yet she is not my enemy. Jesus Christ loves her as much as he loves anybody else. I have to show that love toward her just like anybody else. Just like I would love somebody that I agree with. Because what I say against her, even though I don't know her, she doesn't know me, she'll never hear anything that I say. But yet what I say holds power as an evidence and a testimony in the court. So when you have friends that gossip about other people, understand there's damage being done. Even if that person never hears a word you're saying. Because it gives the right to the enemy to use that in the court and to go after that person. That's also why it's important for us to understand how to go to court, and how to ask forgiveness. Because when people talk about you, I know people talk about me. I know they do. Now, you know, that can bother me or not bother me. But the thing is, I don't want it used in court against me. So if I go to court and I say, Lord, show me anything that I'm missing. Anything. He's faithful and true to show me that. And if there's any truth to what they're saying about me, and I go before the court and I ask forgiveness, that's done. The enemy can't do a thing. When you ask forgiveness for something, it's over with. It's done. Right? It's finished. There's nothing more the enemy can do about it. It's thrown out. A new verdict is rendered not guilty. Thrown out. So we have to spend time every day before the court. And if it confuses you about about these, you know, calling it the court or whatever, then don't think of it that way. You have to spend time before the Lord every day cleansing your life. And saying, Lord, if, if I'm missing something, show me. Because I seek you, I want you, I desire intimacy with you, I desire to be close to you. I want you to be my best friend, and and there are these barriers there that I want broken down, but I don't know what they are. Show me. And, And Father, I even ask forgiveness for what I don't know. See, by doing that, you take the wind out of the sail of the enemy. You go before the court and you just say, you know, you're, you're, you're pleading the fact that you love God and you love Jesus Christ. And he promises, one of the greatest things in the Word of God is that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin when we ask for it. That's huge. That's huge. Because that's like the most giant reset button there is. 
right? Reset. Start again. We can we do that when we go before the Lord and we ask forgiveness. So I encourage you as as we close here. Spend time. If you want to be close to the Lord, if you want to have this relationship and walk with Him that is a best friend status, then you have to know that when you're before the courts, you've got to ask forgiveness for what keeps you from Him. And and if you don't know anything, ask Him. Because one thing we do know is we sin all the time. We we are flesh. We are fallen flesh. And it's, it's not that we have to wonder if we'll ever sin again. We sin. That's why you go... I, there, there are times when I'll go before the court several times a day. And, and not even knowing that there's something wrong, but just pleading with him, Lord, show me. Show me as you showed David. Show me if there's something that I'm missing. Maybe an attitude that I have that, that doesn't fit with your will. Maybe something that I said about this, this situation or about that person or whatever. Just show me, God. And then, one thing too. If it, I just want to throw in this before, before we close and pray. Because gossip's such a huge thing. There's, gossip is probably the biggest way that Satan gets into different people's lives. One with the person who gossips, but also the person who is being gossiped about. You know, he, it's, it's like he gets double evidence there. And, and so when you know that you have said something about someone else that, that the Holy Spirit convicts you of, you go and you easily take care of that. You, you, just, you just ask forgiveness and it's wiped clean. But don't stop there. Okay? Because you need to rescind your name as a testimony, as, as, a, as a witness for what you gossiped about in the first place. The example that I used before, well, that, that person's such a liar. Okay, well, for me to correct that, I can go before the Lord and I can ask forgiveness for that and I could be forgiven. Okay, but I need to take it one step further and say, Lord, forgive me. And I ask that my testimony not be used against that person in that way. I ask that that testimony be rescinded, that it be taken back in how it's being used by the enemy against that person. Because gossip is huge. And, and, and it's so easy to just say it's not a big deal because, well, nobody really heard it. Well, the enemy heard it. And think about that in your own life. And, and, and even people that gossip about you. You know, this is where, this is really where the warfare starts. This is really the base of that warfare. Alright? So, so again, next week we're going to get into, uh, well, I gave hints to it. So, anyways, we, we'll, we're going to get into something a little different. Right now, though, we're, we're just putting the, the pause marks on the spiritual warfare because we will come back to it. But really apply what we've talked about in these weeks, just in your own life, and, and make forgiveness just a key area that you go before the Lord every day in. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, we thank you, we praise you, and God, thank you for 
the understanding in your word that we can come before your throne and ask forgiveness and be completely cleansed. And God, I ask for for me and I ask for this church, Lord, that your spirit, your Holy Spirit would convict us of what even we don't know that we say against other people or say against you. Make us aware of our words. Make us aware of the negative aspect of our words. But God, also teach us the power of how our words can be effective as a testimony for you. God, I know we're warriors in training. But teach us this important, important tool. These words that come out of our mouth. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I just wanted to, boy, echo what, it was. I didn't know, it was funny, I was thinking the Holy Spirit laid gossip on my mind right before he said that, and I thought, wow, that's so true. Um, but remember, sometimes we don't consider gossip if it's somebody in our family, and one of the things the Lord led me to do was ask for forgiveness for a conflict with my sister that I just didn't understand why there was this ongoing struggle with her. And see, sometimes when we are venting and we're sharing about a struggle with somebody in our family, we're not necessarily avoiding hurting them. That's why we're venting. It's because, in fact, some of us, if we're really honest, we're thinking, well, yeah, but, I mean, I, you know, they deserve it, so I want to hurt them, or whatever. But the problem is, what we ultimately want is for them to change. And when the enemy can use those accusations against them, they cannot change because of the grip of the enemy on them. So that's why our gossip actually keeps them in a place where they're unable to change. You know, you're, you're not you're you're fueling the enemy's grip on their life, which never gives them a chance to change. So sometimes when we feel, and that's what's so wild about how the enemy works, he makes it us. It feels so cathartic to sit there and vent about all these problems with whatever it is—a family member, a coworker. We feel good after we lay out this case of our feelings against that person. But what it does is it just cements that case in that person so that they'll never change. Which basically means that our venting will never, ever make them different to us in our life. We're just making them more of what they are. You see what I'm saying? It's, 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 it's amazing how powerful gossip is. And yet, when you look at James and the power of the tongue and all that, you don't really think about it in, in the context of the courts. So if you are struggling and... Um, well, even one of my family members is, is struggling with um, with her mother. And, you know, it's so easy. It's like she cares so much and loves her so much, and yet there's so many frustrating and infuriating things that she feels like are happening in, in her behavior. But as she vents about it, it, it is keeping the enemy's case against her mother strong and unable to be free of it. So it's, it's not really cathartic, and that's where the deception comes in. It might feel good, but it's, it's something that's actually fueling him to have more of a grip. So, uh, so do think about that. Um, the other thing, too, that I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me pertaining to the message, and Greg always asks me to do this, so I, I never like to overstep, but the same thing could be said about, you know, when it comes to blessing. Um, I know that if you've ever done wrong and you've, Confess your sin, okay, and it's done. If, like, for instance, if somebody were to have accused us of not paying a bill, 
and then, but we paid it, okay, and maybe we were late, but we took care of it, and we confessed that, and we dealt with that. We're not going to live any longer in the guilt and the shame of that, because we could say, hey, look, and I noticed that even came out in the political arena with different accusations that were made against people, and they're like, yeah, that happened, but they took care of that. They made that right. Well, when we, don't, when we um, withdraw and hold back our tithes and offerings to the Lord, it's interesting how it gives the enemy a, a case to be made against us, even in our financial uh, ability to be provided for. You know, Satan can begin to attack our finances because he's going before the Lord saying, look, they, they don't care. They're not, do, they're not doing that. They're not doing that. They're not doing that. So I have every right to attack them financially. And it's, it's amazing how that can happen, whereas when there's obedience, it frees God to bless us. And that's where the blessing for being, um, you know, being giving of our first fruits comes in. And, you know, we've been on both sides of that. You know, we've both been blessed, and we've also had the case made against us where, okay, the enemy has free reign because we weren't faithful at times. So it's, um, it's a powerful thing when you look at it in... You know, when you're obedient to God, it actually frees him to bless you because there isn't an accusation made against you. Just kind of like, like your credit improving because you were obedient in your payments and it, it frees the credit bureau to up your, your credit um, rating. So look at it in the same way with God's blessings. We want to have that short account. And uh, I hope that encourages you.